everyone. Welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where we explore today's digital revolution by speaking with thought leaders and business executives who are changing how the world lives, works, plays, learns, and dreams. Our guest today is one of our famous digital all-stars, Sean Amirati, who will be speaking on Amirati on innovation. Sean's a venture capitalist. He's a professor at Carnegie Mellon University. He's an author and most recently a podcaster. Sean, welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. Great to have you. Bob, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I think so. Um, Sean, your specialty in the area of helping corporates become more nimble. So and your point has been it's not just uh, young folks in a garage who are able to be innovative and start things up. Um, just remind everybody a little bit about what you're doing at the Corporate Startup Lab at CMU. Sure. So the Corporate Startup Lab is an initiative within the Schwartz Center which is looking at uh, entrepreneurship, but entrepreneurship not where people often think about entrepreneurship, right? So we tend to think today about entrepreneurship as you know, students right out of school, or maybe we just use the handle like 20-somethings, and, and I often describe them as like 20-somethings in skinny jeans and a t-shirt, right? Um, really bright kids building brand new businesses, and that's certainly a type of entrepreneurship. But, but we believe that innovation can't be relegated just to any one group, including that group as talented as they are. And so what we want is we want everybody to think about themselves as an entrepreneur. And that includes people working inside large businesses. Uh, and so we've been for the last couple of years looking at how can you be an entrepreneur inside a large established business. So Sean, that's, that's so interesting for these times. And um, in addition to the, all the things you're currently doing and have done, you've been a serial entrepreneur as well. So you understand it from that side. And you also, now your podcast deals with this issue, right? That's this, right. This uh, corporate startup idea. Tell us about that. Yeah. So we, we've started a podcast called Agile Giants, where we go and we talk to people who are experts at building startups inside these larger businesses. And look to, part of the, the impetus behind this was, I was having a bunch of these conversations myself under the banner of the corporate startup lab. So people from different companies would reach out and say, Hey, I want to talk to you about what we're doing. We would get together. We would compare notes. It was incredibly helpful for me. And then I found myself after that constantly referring back to the conversations that I had. So I'd be in a conversation with a large healthcare company and I'd say, Hey, I was just talking to somebody at Goldman Sachs. This is what they're doing. And then I realized like, probably a more efficient way to do that is to record some of those conversations. And then I can actually point people to those conversations. And so we've been doing that um, now for a few months. And it, it, it's really, from my perspective, proven to be a great way to actually help people see themselves um, in, through the eyes of being a corporate entrepreneur. Because, And this is, this is a bit of a soapbox, but one of the things that you hear people ask all the time is like, well, can you actually teach somebody to be an entrepreneur? Um, and in fact, there are um, thought leaders who uh, many people in your audience are probably familiar with who will say like, well, you're either born an entrepreneur or you're not. And the problem I have with that is like, I've experienced way too many times people thinking, oh, I wasn't born an entrepreneur. And then they go do remarkable entrepreneurial things. But the reason I think that people get hung up on this is the way you teach someone to be an entrepreneur is different than how you teach somebody you know, marketing or statistics or, you know, your, your, your brother, Bob, is an accounting professor, right? And the way you teach accounting in a business school is really different than the way you teach entrepreneurship. And one of the things we found in terms of teaching entrepreneurship is beyond the, you know, showing best practices and giving people a chance to, to do it, you need to let people see 
and hear the stories of people who have been entrepreneurs before, because it's often a, a sort of learn through through that sort of tutelage or or apprentice like model. And um, so I think the Agile Giants podcast is in some ways a way to scale that out for corporate entrepreneurs, which has been really fun. Sean, again, you know, I think it's so timely for that. And the, those conversations are remarkable. Agile Giants is a terrific uh, program you've put together. The lessons are wide ranging. I think it's funny what you said a second ago about some people think, well, you're either born an entrepreneur or not. I think that's like saying, you know, you've started to do triathlons. You, you're yeah. either born a triathlete or you're not. It's like, hmm, well, no. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, this is it, it, like all these things, right? When you're, if you take a disciplined approach to it, you can end up having, uh, you can end up improving it and getting, getting better at it. And I mean, we've just had so many students come through the, the Schwartz Center who took the class as an elective because they needed to fill out their schedule transparently. And then by the end of the semester, like they're doing amazing things, right? And you know, some of them still have constraints like student debts, visa issues, things like that. And so many times they don't go join an accelerator when they're done. They go join you know, a large Fortune 500 company or Fortune 50 company, even in some cases, but they go do innovation in those places and they act like an entrepreneur there and, and really bring this, um, this sort of creative thinking and 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 more to the point, we've talked about this before, Bob, but like it's also making the world better. Like, fixing problems in the world and you know like this is this is how i feel kind of across the board but like i think industry solves a lot of the world's problems and entrepreneurial mindset in that industry is is crucial in the, the point where we are right now yeah yeah so sean let me take your notion of agile giants and corporate startup labs in some ways it begins with this idea of what got us here won't get us there and so on what do you think about in the tech space, right? Because yeah. you've got some phenomenally successful companies and you look at the growth rates, how they've got to this point, their CEOs are you know, globally known, their brands are known, they're pushing innovation, it's their specialty. But if it's true that, which we hear all the time now, every company is a digital company, every company is a software company. Well, if every company is indeed a software company, what are the software companies? become that, that that's exactly right I, I think i think that's the question for every tech ceo right now and i think what you're going to see is you're going to see a real separation of the the good versus the great um tech companies right now so um you know and, and i think it really is that delineation it's not that you know, all the companies that have gotten to this point they're at least good tech companies they wouldn't have the cachet, the brand, the market cap that they did if they weren't good. But, you know, uh, Jim Collins opens his book, Good to Great, by saying good is the enemy of great sometimes. And that's exactly why some entities don't become great. And I think this is this, this, this software eating the world and every company becoming a tech company, how the tech companies respond to that is going to be what separates the good versus the great, I believe, over the, the next uh, few years here. And what you see, you, you see this first, I, th I think we're first seeing this in consumer tech. So in consumer tech, you see a lot of tech companies moving into businesses that don't feel like tech businesses. So, um, you know, ton of news over the last few weeks about Apple moving into the credit card business and effectively becoming a bank, right? That, that's, not, that's not what you would have imagined 10 years ago if you think about a business like Apple. But, but you know, 
they have, I think, realized like for them to continue to achieve the growth that they need to, just like traditional businesses are becoming tech businesses, they must also go and do business model innovation and business model transformation inside some of these established industries like, like banking right now is a good example for Apple. I think in the enterprise tech space, uh, we're, we're just a half turn earlier, but you're going to start to see some interesting uh, implications there as well. Sean, I, I wonder if you think there's a, if this is a valid point along the lines of what you're describing. I felt for, oh, I don't know, some number, two, three, four, five years, certainly it's become much more acute in the last year or two, which is that business customers now looking at the big enterprise tech companies, yes, they want what those companies make and sell. What they really want is what they know. That's right. And I, maybe is, the, is that part of the key of what you're saying of this next wave of growth for these big companies? A hundred percent. And I think even th that also changes how the big tech companies engage with their customers, right? If, if, you, if you're not looking to buy the product, but you're looking to collaborate and in some way share the intellectual property, then the guy who's really good at golf that doesn't know much about his or her software products is not a very good represent, representative for that tech company, right? And you've seen some of the larger tech companies shift from, uh, you know, effective backslapping sales guys with relationships to engineers who actually know how to think digitally that can partner as, uh, as a real thought partner on them. But I think the interesting question for those companies now is, okay, so the person at the, at, who's managing those relationships, right? That they're, they bring this digital IP with them. That's great. Um, but you, if, I'm, if I'm on either side of that equation, if I'm either the CIO engaging with the sales guy at Microsoft, Oracle, whatever, or vice versa, I'm in that company engaging with the, the, um, the tech vendor, like I don't want I don't want it to be point to point. I want it to be sort of organization to organization, right? And and this requires kind of a new way of thinking, a new way of approaching these problems. And I think this will be the the separation between the the good and the great uh, tech companies over the next couple of years in enterprise tech. Yeah, Sean, do you have uh, an example of this you might point to? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think, I mean, I think Microsoft has done this incredibly well, uh, like along a lot of these levels, right? So you see, you see, and we've talked about some of the examples from Microsoft before, but, but I don't know that we've talked before about the, the org change. I mean, I think they've also changed how they approach this from an organizational and a, and a people development perspective. But I think things like the partnership with Kroger, right? That's not CEO to CEO, that's organization to organization, right? And I think that's, I think that's really important. I think um, one of the companies that, that we've partnered with a lot at CMU, and I can't get into tons of detail on how we work with them, but we do a lot of work with a group called Optum that's part of United Healthcare Group, right? And I always say um, Optum is the largest software company you've never heard of because they do tons and tons of healthcare IT um, software revenue but because they don't have a, a broad B2B offering or a B2C offering, m most people don't know who they are, even though by revenue, they're, they're as large as any, as any large tech company out there. And to me, this is interesting because it, it starts to show this like blurring of the lines. So is Optum as part of United Healthcare Group, are they a software company 
or are they an industrial company who thinks digitally, right? And, and to me, like, these lines are going to get real blurry. Um, the step that I think was necessary kind of in horizontal enterprise tech before, so, so leaving a vertical like healthcare that's large enough, I think you can basically just do it in healthcare because it's a big enough vertical by itself. If you go to more horizontal players, you know, we talked a few months ago about the SAP um, sort of shift to thinking about customer experience and the implications behind that and what a great move that was. That's awesome. But, but you know, man, does, do things, do companies catch up quickly, right? Oracle decided, or, or Salesforce, that was maybe a Freudian slip, but uh, so Salesforce, Salesforce decided quickly to sort of pivot and, and, and try to play catch up there, which is, which is great. I thought you covered that well on CloudBoards already but to me it's like okay great step before this this blending of business model transformation is putting the customer at the center and doing digital transformation and certainly looking in the rearview mirror you know oh it's x trillion dot one point whatever trillion dollars being spent on digital transformation that's awesome looking backwards right but you can't drive your car looking backwards. If you start looking forward, I think what you're going to see is it's not going to be just about digital transformation. It's going to be about complete business model transformation and companies that, that we've had clean buckets to put them in, not being nearly as bucketed um, going forward. And for any of our friends who are at these enterprise tech companies that want to talk about this, this is exactly the things that we're talking about at the corporate startup lab every day. Like we're trying to help companies think about reinventing themselves. And I think our enterprise tech companies are well positioned to do this, um, but you can't look backwards. You've got to look out the windshield, stop looking in the rear view mirror, stop celebrating the digital transformation budgets, which are, which are great. And that will help you meet your earnings numbers for the next few years, but that will not get you to where you want to go because of exactly what we started with. Being good is the enemy of being great here. And to me, taking a large slice of the digital transformation pie, that's a way to have a good business. But the way you have a great business is that you actually have a slice of the business model transformation pie, which I think is, is the more interesting kind of future challenge here. Yeah, Sean, and that ties back very much to what you said about you can have a relationship where it's CEO to CEO, and maybe that's good. But yep. the great relationships are company to company. That's right. You know, developer to developer and, you know, customer success person to, co you know, and on That's and on right. down the line. And I, I think I just want to come back and highlight a point you made before about this shift. And this won't be the only part of it, but one of the ways in which this shift is being expressed in the leading tech companies is in the sales organizations. You yes. talked about over here, you got the backslapper who's built a good relationship and knows your kids' names and birthdays. And over here, you've got this deep tech engineer who can come into your deployment and say, hey, you know what? Here's three more things that you know the top people in your industry are doing that you maybe ought to think about pretty seriously. That, that's right. I mean, and and uh, like that is going to be fascinating to, to watch. I, you know, I uh, was talking to a guy, this is not something that I've done, but I was talking to a guy who runs money on Wall Street. And we were saying like a fascinating buy-sell heuristic would be to go long every organization that's adding a bunch of engineers and short every organization that's adding a bunch of salespeople, right? Now, it's, you want to actually know what they do, not what their title is, because the fascinating part of this is, 
in a place like Microsoft, my understanding from folks I know around that organization is there's a lot of engineers now wearing a sales hat. And so I don't, I don't know how you would actually, from an algorithmic perspective, make that determination, right? But to me, like, that's a fascinating thing, right? There's a different way of engaging with your customers. And it's not about where you went to school or, or uh, kind of what your background is. It's all about, I think, really more like what's your approach to engaging with this. So you can take someone who's got an MBA, but, but acts like a consultant to the kind of salesperson who really wants to help improve the business, take things down to their first principles and improve systems. They may look like an engineer even though they may not have a, you know, a, a degree in engineering. I'm, I'm less talking about what your degree is. I'm more talking about sort of what your approach yeah. to engaging with people is. You know, the rounds of golf are nice. The trips to the Hawaiian Islands are nice. But like at a certain point, that becomes pretty top of the organization. It's hard to, it's hard to sort of um, capitalize on that in terms of actually transformation. The, the deep workshops together, the actually solving problems together, the th thinking partner first, that's the kind of things that I think actually are the the future of these these interactions between the two groups. Sean, you know, there's there's a an example over at Microsoft I want to ask you about. And uh, one is there are two parts of this. One is in the last earnings call, uh, Satya Nadella said that over the next five years, 500 million new applications will be written, which he yep. said is far more than in the history of the software industry. And it's not possible for just the tech companies to even do you know, half of that, or maybe even right. a tenth of that. That's so right. your point about where this is headed, you know, is very clear. The other thing is for all the credit that Nadella deserves, and I think it's just, you know, almost unlimited. The other person inside Microsoft, I think, who has been the exact uh, embodiment of the type of change you're talking about is Judson Althoff, who comes from a very strong technology background, an engineer. And since he's arrived at Microsoft, they have begun that big transformation of the sales organization. And maybe they're, maybe your heuristic in some ways is uh, reduce the number of back slaps and includes the, <laughs> the number of slapping a little code on a customer here that, uh, that they need to jump into something entirely new. That's right. No, I, I, yeah. So, so let's take those in, in order, right? So on the, on the number of applications, right? As a, as a guy who's been around software kind of for a long, long time, like to me, that's that's exciting, because I know that that software, when when done well, provides asymmetric value in the sense that like you, you can bring these efficiencies to it where you really can generate exponential growth relative to the cost involved in it, and you can codify things that have been routine, t tedious, quote unquote, the way we've always done it that have just been false limiters on these businesses, and I think. You know, if we if we achieve even half of of the goal of a half a billion applications, right? Th th there's a lot of value and a lot of improvement that you'll see happen in a situation like that. In terms of the the cultural shift, I think the other thing, I don't know, I don't know the team there as well as you do, but the things that I'm hearing, kind of, where I have a lot of conversations with people who are, I think, ultimately aware of what Microsoft's doing from a customer perspective as different industry executives come through our lab. The thing that I keep hearing is like, wow, you know, when they show up, they don't show up with like a PowerPoint to take an order. They show up to do a workshop with us to jointly solve problems. And, um, and I, you know, maybe other companies are doing that too. And they're just, it's not hitting the same 
executive sponsorship inside the client side. I don't know. But to me, like that is taking an engineer's philosophy and applying it to sales. And I think, um, I think that's, that's really powerful in terms of, of um, cr- creating the sort of future that we all want to live in together. Sean, uh, again, I, I don't want to seem like I'm overly rah-rah about Microsoft, but they're number one on the Cloud Wars top 10 list and have been for quite some time. And I think one of the places, and this is addressing the point you just made there, where you can most clearly see the difference in the Microsoft approach versus that of many other companies, and it's a customer-oriented, engineering-driven, collaborative uh, I think it really speaks to that notion of, you know, helping uh, individuals and organizations achieve more. But I always think it's intriguing and, uh, you know, a keynote talk at a big event or quarterly earnings call. The CEO gets up. That CEO could talk about anything that he or she wants to, anything in the whole wide world. That's right. You look back the last four, five, six of those, Nadella starts at the very top by talking about the celebration of engagement with customers. And he talks about, we're creating new business models. We're creating new operating models. We are helping them do things that they've never been able to do before, explore new areas. Not just, you know, we sold this many things to this many people and bumped up earnings by, which is all great. But he speaks about this aspirational future, I think of where the world needs to go. Not so much like, here's what happened last quarter. And here's how, you know, the stranglehold we have on a certain part of the market, we're going to hold on to it for another quarter or two. So this notion of leadership and how that pushes down in the organization, that has to happen. And what Corporate Startup Lab, what you're talking about, you need both. You need those fiery people inside to make it happen, but you need that drive from the top, right? That opens, uh, clears the way for them. Yeah, you can't do this without executive support. You just can't, right? Like you can't, you can't now executives need to get the right people doing the work because you know satya still has the same 24 hours a day that that you and i do right so he can't do it all himself the people in his organization though couldn't do it without his support as well and i think what what i suspect and i don't know this you you know him i I don't know him but what i suspect is people at that level typically do two things right they make sure people know what the vision is and then they make sure they get people on the bus who can execute against that vision. Like it's, it's really hard to do a lot as CEO of even of, you know, I look across our portfolio, even CEOs of 20, 30, 40, $50 million revenue businesses. It's actually really hard to do much work in, in like the classic sense of that word um, as a CEO of a company that size and, and Microsoft's obviously many, 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 many orders of magnitude larger, but I think it's the same thing. But, but what does a great CEO do? They make sure that they're communicating the right vision, right? That they're talking about looking forward, not looking in the rear view mirror, which I think to your point on the earnings calls, he's done a really good job doing. And then they make sure that they get people in the organization who can actually, who can actually deliver that, right? So, so people like the, the gentleman you were speaking about who will come in and say, okay, I'm going to put a sales force together that's full of people who will do workshops instead of PowerPoint presentations, who will collaborate instead of take orders, right? And even, even at that level in the organization, it's still probably more of an re- a attraction and retention problem than it is a doing problem. Um, but that's where you see these healthy organizations really, really thrive. Um, playing catch up is important and, and certainly like uh, some of their competitors are going to need to play catch up because there's only one 
there's only one number one slot. And so that means by definition, everybody else that ha has aspirational catch up to, to do. And, and, you know, I think also I, I suspect rankings like that are nice affirmation for these organizations, but it's also like, what does Microsoft want to be? Microsoft wants to be the best Microsoft it can be. And Oracle wants to be the best Oracle it can be. And Salesforce wants to be the best Salesforce it can be. Now, knowing where your peers are is important because that's how you kind of catch up. But, but, um, but you got to communicate the vision clearly. You got to attract and retain the right people. And I think if you can do that um, with clarity, and we talked about this the last time I was on, that the clarity from, from Nadella has been second to none. Right, all of a sudden you've got you've got real senior sponsorship to to do this transformation. Um, I think digital transformation is really important, but it's but it's but it's like that's sunsetting, and the next thing is going to be this business model transformation. You know, I was I was actually with um, one of our other schools at CMU this week, and the guy who runs the program walked in and to the grad students who just had signed up for a one-year program and said, okay, well, user-centered design is done. Like that's now table stakes, right? And you could watch the master students like, oh shoot, I just <laughs> signed up to get a degree and spend a year of my life here based around this philosophy. But his point was not that like, oh, it's not important to do it. His point was like, that's table stakes, guys. That, and that was, you know, 10 years ago, being really good at that, that got you a seat at the table. Today, that's just table stakes, right? And I think similarly, that's where digital transformation is today. It's important, but like it's, it's, it's important, but insufficient. And, and I think whoever's going to win this over the next few years, they're going to stop talking about digital transformation and start talking about business model transformation. Sean, I want to toss out a branding idea to you because I know yeah. you work with a lot of these big companies. And if this clicks, I'd just like to be able to dip my beak a little on it, right? So... <laughs> Business model transformation, BMT. So yeah. that's one of the three subway lines in, in New York City, uh, Brooklyn Mass Transit, but now it's called the BMT. So you could say business model transformation, BMT, and then show a subway car saying, we take you there. How about, what do you think? I, I like it. I like it. I'll tell you what. So there's, if any of our friends from these large companies are listening and they want to talk about that, right? <laughs> Re remember, it's now a joint venture between CSL and, and Cloudboard here. Yeah. All right. Sean, fair enough. Sean, before we go, could you offer uh, a couple pointers? So, you know, confine this to the tech industry if you want, or if this is a more universal case. But two things that companies wanted to make that jump from, again, they're already out there in the digital transformation space. They want to leap into the business model transformation space. Two things they should do and two things they should avoid. Yeah. So, so I, the, that's a good question. So in terms of the things they should do, and, and this is where I think, first of all, the customer experience stuff is still important. There are some first principles, I think, that if you don't bring to the way you do business, it's really hard to do this. And that's why I think that these are almost linear progressions. So if you're not customer-centric yet, if you, if you, or if you claim to be customer-centric, but your customers may not realize you're very customer-centric, uh, which is actually, I think, more what you would, what you might hear from some of our unnamed uh, friends in the tech industry, right? Well, I mean, he tells me he's very customer centric, and he certainly, you know, acts that way, but it doesn't feel that way on the other side, right? But you you got to actually really care about what your customers want. That's one thing. The the other thing I think that's a prerequisite, and there's some others, 
ones as well. But the other big one that you see is I think organizations think they understand the value of data, but I actually think many of them are still underestimating how valuable the data exhaust is in their different businesses. And so getting and increasing the um, sort of proficiency and uh, acumen around data science, I think is, is similar to the customer being the sort of acumen around being customer centric. I think those two things are, are really, really important. Um, the, the things that I would say to avoid, um, I guess there's two things that come to mind quickly. One is no sacred cows. So I think a lot of these organizations, one of the things that's holding them back is a fear of doing things that will cause some disruption to their existing businesses. And it takes courage to, to do that. Um, I was just thinking again about the transformation that Adobe went through when they moved from package license revenue to subscription revenue, right? That, that involved killing some, some sacred cows that, and if you sort of look at their stock price over that transformation, that was, that was challenging, right? And you, you've got to be willing to, to attack those. So that's one. Another thing that I would say is sometimes I think people make this, uh, like we want to make it harder than it is. So, um, I have a, a guy that I know who has a, who has a tool that helps people with some of these things. I'm going to rip on it in a minute. So I won't mention the tool's name, but one of the things I've found is like, he wants to do like four day workshops on how to use this tool with executives. And you know, I think it's great for companies to be committed to improving. And I certainly think education and workshops are important. I think they, they can become a lever for, for, catalyzing change in your organization. But the thing I worry about sometimes is if we take things that are really simple and we make them complicated so that we can do four days of workshop on them because you know we wanna make sure we can justify four days of, it, of billable hours, not a day or two of billable hours. Um, I worry sometimes that like that makes this feel like another buzzword. You know, that makes this feel like getting black belt certified when uh, quality was a really big thing, right? And, you know, I think it's great to catalyze change that way, but if you make simple things complicated, then it feels like a buzzword that people overlook. And so, so I would say, like, let's make sure in your organization that you're also focused on, like, what are the actual hard challenges that we need to solve? Where do we need to have courage to go solve those and rally around that? But let's not make things that are, that are straightforward complicated just because, and often it's because we don't want to tackle those sacred cows that I was talking about, right? So it's like, rather than look over here, let's talk about five days on how to do this thing that should take us a couple couple minutes to do. So those are some quick thoughts. Um, but yeah, I think this is a, it's a, it's a future looking thing at the moment, but it's, it's a fun, you know, where are we heading next challenge? And I'm excited to see, see kind of how these different organizations adapt to the challenges. Yeah, Sean, remarkable how some companies with good but not wise intentions will contort themselves into these uh, just untenable paths or commit themselves to untenable paths or right. untenable positions to try to avoid those untouchable, uh, you know, well, that guy, we, we need that. This is a core that's, that's been yeah. such a part of our history, so on like that. So, Sean, those are, those are great points. Um, any final words here before we close up? No, I mean, I just, I just again would say like, if this is resonating with people in your audience, um, you know, we've got a bunch of stuff for, for free that we don't make complicated 
at Corporate Startup Lab. So you can go to corporatestartuplab.com and you can actually see the tools that we've created around this and some other tools that are in development. They're all free to use. All we ask for is feedback. It's the nice thing about being in a university. We don't need consulting business models to, to make uh, to make these things make sense. Um, but I'd love to hear if they're helpful and if they're not helpful, I'd love to hear that as well. And if we can, you know, bounce some ideas back and forth, that would be great as well. Okay. And where should folks go to hear Agile Giants? So uh, the, if you, any place that you listen to podcasts, if you search for Agile Giants, it will pop right up for you. So iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Wonderful. Wonderful. Sean, thanks so much. Always a pleasure being with you. Thank you, Bob. All right, and all of you folks, thanks for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live, and we'll look forward to uh, meeting up with Sean again in a month or so for Amirati on Innovation. Thanks for spending your time with us, and we'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.